brothers and sisters, Ruth 3 has some interesting stuff going on, to say the least. If it were up to us, I wonder if most of us would have included this situation in Ruth 3 in God's Word. It's where we have this older man, and he was older. You see it in verse 10. He talks about the younger men. And also, he calls her here, and in chapter 2, he calls her my daughter. In those days, you would only do that if the person could actually be your daughter. So we could assume that Boaz was at least 20 years older than Ruth. But I wonder how much of us would have put this chapter and this scene in God's Word where this older man and this young widow spend the night together on the threshing floor. What do we make of this? What do we make of this? You remember it all started in chapter 1 when Naomi's husband moved the family to Moab. He died there. So did his two sons with him. Naomi and her daughters-in-law were left as widows in Moab. Naomi and this one daughter-in-law, Ruth, moved back to Bethlehem with nothing. At the beginning of the barley harvest, we read, Naomi comes back to Bethlehem as Mara, which means bitter. She has this strong sense that God's hand has been against her. In chapter 2, they're back in Bethlehem now, Ruth goes out to glean in the fields. And that gleaning was a special rite for the down and the out that, that was set up by God among his people. Ruth meets this amazing man of God. Boaz. He's wealthy, he's single, this going above and beyond, caring for the poor Boaz. He treats Ruth very kindly. He allows her to gather grain in his fields. And Naomi and Ruth both are experiencing, after all they've been through, they're both really experiencing God's care and provision for them in all of this through Boaz. Now, in our chapter, we're at the end of the barley harvest. That would have been six or seven weeks later from the beginning. In all of this time, it doesn't look like the relationship between Ruth and Boaz has progressed at all in terms of their relationship. It's continuing to be he's looking out for her, allowing her to glean in the fields. But in those weeks, nothing Sparks didn't seem to be flying or anything, but Naomi has clearly been doing some thinking and wondering and dreaming. And she was doing that because it was so important then for a woman to be a wife and have children. You know, today, unmarried women and girls are much more independent than Ruth could have ever been in her world. Women could not provide for themselves then. You know, and, and this is... One of the reasons, we're not going to get into the whole polygamy thing in the Old Testament, except to say this is one of the reasons why polygamy happened then. Obviously, it wasn't ideal for any woman to be one wife among several. But I'll tell you what, it was better than dying out on the streets. It was better to have a roof over your head and maybe even to be able to have the blessing of children in your life too. 
But Naomi has been thinking ahead about Ruth and her future. For, for Naomi, you know, marriage in that culture wasn't very realistic at all. Even though she, she may, we don't know how old she was exactly. She may have been only about 50 or so. She could have been that young. But that was too old in that culture. She couldn't bear children. She didn't really have any hope of marriage anymore. But Naomi's thinking, what if things could work out yet for Ruth? What if things could work out for Ruth and Boaz? Wouldn't that be great? But how? Nothing's happened in the last six, seven weeks. So she comes up with a way for Ruth to approach Boaz. She figures out Boaz will be at the threshing floor on a certain night. The threshing floor was outside the city in those days. And that's so that the wind, where the wind would blow better, and the wind would come in to separate uh, the chaff from, from the grain and help with that process. It was outside the city, and it would need to be guarded at night. Uh, Bethlehem wasn't a large town. It wouldn't have been too hard for her to figure out when Boaz was going to be there. She, she kind of tells Ruth to get dialed up here. Wash yourself, put on perfume, put on some nice clothes. She says, go down to the threshing floor, down, because Bethlehem was built on two hills. So to get to the threshing floor outside the city, you'd have to go downhill a bit. And then there's this, this plan of uncovering the guy's feet, which is very, very strange. Very odd to us, but she's basically asking Boaz to marry her, to sleep under one cover. That was a way, and it, it's obvious even to us today, that was a way of talking about the marriage relationship, being married and what happens there. Ruth does all this. So you kind of picture Boaz there. It's the middle of the night, and he startles awake for whatever reason, and there lying in the dark is a young woman. Boaz would have been like, whoa, what's going on? He responds positively. It works out, and Boaz starts making work of making this marriage happen. And that's going to continue how that goes in chapter 4. But what do we make of all of this? Isn't this plan of Naomi's a little surprising? I mean, isn't it almost scandalous? It's unconventional for a woman to ask a man to marry her at all. But then to do it in this way, a young woman sneaking around in the night, laying next to Boaz in the dark. And some commentators say uncovering his feet could be a euphemism for uncovering even more than his feet. Could Naomi and Ruth really have expected an upright man of God like Boaz to respond well to these kinds of tactics aren't these women scheming a little too much what about resting in god's provision and shelter what about trusting in the lord as believers we don't believe the ends justify the means but it seems that we've got some pretty questionable means going on here 
This seems to be a pretty shady way to go about things for a child of God. These are the sort of things that go through our mind when, when we read this. But we think these things because we, it's so hard to get out of our current way of thinking about things. We're, we're thinking about things with a 21st century mind. And if we think these things, it's because we don't know as much as we really should about God's law and structures in those times. We have to look at things from the perspective of God's people and God's ways then in the church of that time, the Old Testament people, and what he was doing there and how he set things up. Remember, we went into this a couple weeks ago. You remember the whole kinsman-redeemer thing and Leviticus 25 where it's set up, and we talked about that. So this was not Ruth going up to some random guy in the middle of the night. This wasn't a Ruth gone wild situation. This was one of the kinsmen redeemers. Ruth was seeking the rights that the poor were given in God's economy. More than that... Ruth was looking out for the clan of Elimelech, which she had married into. Part of the kinsman-redeemer law that we didn't get into a couple weeks ago was the brother-in-law law, the brother-in-law law. When someone died, his brother was to take in the widow and children that she would have with the brother of her deceased husband would then carry on the name of the dead brother. Deuteronomy 25 talks about that. Here, both brothers died, so that couldn't happen. But there was still, in those days, in that time, an obligation for her to keep the name going of her dead husband, if she could at all. And only Ruth was left to carry on the name of Elimelech's family in Israel. We cannot grasp the tremendous burden that this would have been to these two widows. There's the burden of them being poor and broke and and not having food and, and not having a man to provide for them, of course. But the burden of not being able in their current situation to carry on the line. Their job in life was to bear children for their husband, to carry on the family name. Naomi had given birth to two boys. They were both dead. Ruth had not done anything at all yet with regard to this. She didn't have children with her husband. So if you keep all of that in mind, how God set things up then, we realize that we don't have two scheming women here. We don't have Ruth being inappropriate and all seductive well maybe she was using her feminine charm a little bit but not in a god dishonoring way it wasn't about that she was doing this to save elimelech's line these women were being obedient to god these were steps of faith they were seeking their redemption 
and the redemption of their family. These, what we have here, are two people who are being faithful to God's covenant and walking and living with an active, bold faith. We see it with Naomi in her original idea for this, but even more so with Ruth. Did you catch that? Naomi has this plan, gives it to Ruth. Naomi's instructions end with, he will tell you what to do. Is that how Ruth leaves it? No. She does even more than that. In verse 9, she boldly takes initiative and she says, spread the corner of your garment over me. Ruth is being even more proactive than Naomi. That would have taken some nerve. That would have taken some strong faith, which we already know Ruth has. We saw it in her commitment and decision in the first place to follow Naomi and commit herself to her God. That's what's going on. Now, this approach is very similar to what the book of Hebrews says when it tells us that God's children, God's people, are to go boldly before the throne of grace. We're humble servants of God, of course, but in the context of our relationship with Him, we are called to go boldly into His presence. God's children, you and I, are called in our lives to claim our covenant rights and promises. God's children are called to actively seek the Lord and pursue Him, just as Ruth pursued this relationship with her kinsman redeemer, Boaz. In fact, this is a major lesson of the book of Ruth for God's people. While Elimelech walked away from the covenant promises and walked away from his God, Ruth shows us what God's people are called to do. Embrace the Lord. Obey the Lord with an active faith. God's people in the Old Testament failed miserably to do this. And that's why the Redeemer, capital R, came in the fullness of time, Jesus, our Savior, to bring us into relationship with God. Just as Boaz in verse 18, you notice that he did not rest until he settled the matter that day. Just as Boaz did that, Jesus did not rest until he settled the matter of sin to assure our relationship with the Lord. He went to the cross. He rose again for the redemption of his bride, his church, his people, you and me. Jesus is our bridegroom. We've been bought with a price and brought into relationship with him. Because of what our Redeemer did, we can now come even more boldly before the Lord. We're not invited to seek our Redeemer on the threshing floor like Ruth, but we are called to embrace the Redeemer, capital R, the Bridegroom, Jesus Christ. At the beginning of 2011, God's Word is calling you and me to seek God's Son, Jesus Christ. We're being called to a closer relationship with our Redeemer. We're being called to, an, to a proactive and bold faith. 
Will you seek a closer walk with the bridegroom this year? Will you reach out to your Redeemer? What would it take for you to have a more intimate relationship with Him in your life? Pastor Mike spoke about radical discipleship in the sermon last Sunday morning as we looked at the parable of the treasure in the field. That's what Ruth is displaying here. Radical faith. What could that mean for your life? I think of some of our other recent challenges from God's Word. Remember we looked at Malachi 3 and the idea of financial stewardship in our lives? Will you listen this year? God invites us to test Him and experience the blessing. You and I have the opportunity to start out this year with active and bold faith to get on track by tithing our income to God's church and beyond, as the Bible calls us to. Take those steps of faith this year. When we studied the first part of chapter 2 of Ruth, we saw Boaz and how he went above and beyond in his care for the vulnerable, the weak, the down and out. That's a priority for God's people. Will you take the steps of faith today to obey him in this matter? Of, of the many great ministries to those in need in our church, we have many. Which ones are you and your family serving in and supporting? Paths, crossroads, or many others. There are many opportunities for active obedience and steps of faith and caring for the vulnerable right here in the ministries of faith. Will you do it this year? Will you obey? What about those impact lists that Pastor Mike talked about a little bit earlier? Will we have that conversation that we've needed to have for some time with someone in our circles of influence, someone who doesn't know the Lord? Will we take the step of faith and obey? What about what's going on today in your personal walk with God? How is your relationship with your bridegroom? Embrace your Redeemer. Will you boldly make adjustments you might need in your life for devotions, for real prayer times alone with your loved ones, for Bible study, so that you can embrace the Redeemer and your Savior. And what would it take for us as a church together, what would it take for us to walk closer with the Savior this year? I put that challenge, first of all, to our elders and deacons, and after them, our ministry leaders and committees, to, to ask that question, what would it take for Faith Christian Reformed Church to embrace, to better embrace our Savior, to have a more intimate relationship with Him? What, what would it take for us to more powerfully experience his word. What would it take for us to more passionately be expressing his love to one another, to everyone? What would it take, church, 
for us to be better equipped to serve him? And how can we better equip others to serve him in every area of our life? I mentioned our elders and deacons, and it's true, they, they lead us, and they have a special responsibility to call us to take bold steps of faith. But as Reformed Christians, we believe in something called the priesthood of all believers. And that means that each one of us is called to holiness. Each one of us has the Holy Spirit. We don't watch others do the work in the church. We work together. And that means that each one of you is an important part of the body of Christ here at Faith CRC. And that also means that each one of us is called to discern what it means for you to help our church better embrace Jesus and take firm and bold and courageous steps of obedience. God's people work together in amazing ways here at Faith. We have an amazing heritage We had an amazing 2010 in terms of worship and ministry, people reached, in terms of following the Great Commission together. How can we do even more for Jesus together this year? This morning, God's Word, Ruth chapter 3, challenges us to faithful, active, covenant, living, and obedience. Jesus has come. Salvation is here. Embrace your Savior. Embrace the Redeemer today and this year.